two movies enter, one movie leaves. This is the Great Movie Showdown. Tonight, we have Toy Story 2, a movie that is basically Woody finding out that he is Mr. Deeds in small cowboy form, and The Lion King, a movie that is basically also Mr. Deeds, but if people were murdered. This is the Great Movie Showdown. (laughs) What the fuck was that? You're right. The Lion King reference wasn't quite as good, was it? I know. I figured we'd... Just keep it because it's like so bad and it makes no sense. (laughs) Just keep it. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, it's not like Mr. Deeds at all. It's more like... what, What is The Lion King actually based off of? Hamlet, maybe? Probably Hamlet. Let's go with that. Hamlet. Which Either is like Hamlet a, a town Hamilton. on a bay. A Hamlet. Anyway, before we jump into that, though, I do want to briefly talk about the Mulan thing. So you're going to hear this episode like two weeks later, but our last episode before our like crazy weird episode that talked about Inherent Vice was about Mulan. And Disney Plus just announced that it's heading to Disney Plus on September 4th for $30. I'm not sure what that means. Do you guys, uh, did you guys actually read the article? I just saw the, uh, the headline. Well, I, I read a little bit of the article and they're right now discussing it and they're releasing it. So it's kind of like the best way I can put it for anyone listening is if you guys can imagine when an artist is trying to release a song, but they're kind of tapping, like I guess you say dipping your toe into the water, checking the temperature. So like someone clearly released information to see how we would react to being asked to pay 30 bucks to see this movie. And they're going to see how it goes. That's how I feel because it's even in a safe distance. They're talking about doing it in September. Mm -hmm. And I honestly feel like that's a safe distance to be like, okay, well we'll see if anyone really like doesn't like the idea or if people are excited to actually watch the film. Um, And they've guaranteed that it will be in limited release wherever theaters are available, obviously not shut down by COVID. So we'll see. I mean, nothing's set in stone. It's all leaked information from Disney, which is usually airtight. Like Matt's rear end, that beautiful, <laughs> luscious ginger butt. Oh my butt. gosh. Damn it. Well, what? Can you go one show without talking about my rear end? No. That booty is wonderful. That ginger booty. There's also a, uh ads on the side of this Verge article that I'm looking at for the Samsung Galaxy Z Flip, which looks really cool. Dude, folding smartphones. It's like we're going back to... I was uh, about to say... Back to the early 2000s, back to 20 years ago when most of these movies came out. So, uh, the movies we're supposed to be discussing, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking about uh, Mr. (laughs) Deeds today. But also, real quick, I did want to mention... I didn't even have a chance to talk about Mulan. Well, no, we're still talking about that. Okay, yeah, Matt, you go first. I'll I'll wait, I'll wait to talk about my Mulan thing. Oh, well, I thought we were already moving on, so that's why. Okay, you can go then zach oh okay sure now the audience just has to listen to us go back and forth and uh, try (laughs) it's like a tennis bat oh my gosh anyway so uh (laughs) so my thoughts on it were initially i was like that seems weird but then i also thought about it and like how much do you think they spent on this movie let's actually look it up real quick oh god i guarantee you it's easily north of 150 mil I guarantee. Okay, yeah, two hundred million. Oh That's, my god! I knew it. 
I would yeah, that's. I mean, that's pretty standard for a movie like this, for like a high end blockbuster. Well, to be movie. fair, to be fair to yeah. Disney, I guarantee you, not all two hundred million dollars is there. They did a co production with China. That's why you know they really? made such a big push. Yeah, it's like a big thing for them to like really let um you know tell a different version of Mulan. That's why you mm-hmm. get the hawk lady from like Chinese folklore and all that stuff. Now I'm not too deep in it. Don't quote me, anyone. Please don't take my word as gospel on any of this because a Chinese historian I am not. But the film even alludes to um, a part in Mulan's mythology where she enters battle dressed as a woman with her hair flowing and inspires the soldiers with her bravery because she's not wearing armor in battle. You know, and then um, in the trailer, they show that. And I'm like, okay, so they're poster they show that. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Like, Clearly, they're going closer to the mythology to be respectful to Chinese culture. So I'm going to assume, you know, anyway, continue. Well, yeah, and um, I'm thinking like initially I thought it was weird. And then I thought like what's going on with movie theaters and everything and how that I mean, ultimately, like this is this is the worst year in history to release a movie. Correct. I mean, it's it's insane. Like releasing a movie past February of this year, it's not going to do well. I honestly and, think for Oscar. I honestly mm-hmm. think at this point, and Matt, I, I'm so sorry. I know you want to get your thoughts on Mulan. I just want to say that, like, I I think for certain going forward, the way we watch movies, the way we we consume movie media, mm-hmm. anything like that, is going to be fundamentally changed because oh, yeah. of because of our pandemic time. I think things yeah. are going to be very different. And already with Netflix, you felt that stuff kind of happening, like theatrical releases have been steadily dropping in the uh, in the past several years from Netflix and Hulu and stuff like that. And people, it's weird, like you don't go to a, it used to be such a big deal to like rent a movie from Blockbuster, like you'd plan a night for it and be like, oh, it's movie night, let's go to the store and like choose a movie based off what's in stock based on what they have and what isn't checked out already. And then that's, you're maybe going to watch the movie twice even. I remember just remember remember to be kind and rewind. Remember? Yeah. So I was going to say, I remember being pissed off that they didn't rewind the tape. Like that's not even (laughs) an issue anymore. Yeah. (laughs) But go ahead, Matt. I want to hear what you think about Mulan. So like when you hear $30 just to watch the movie, I, I think there's, you might actually own the movie as well. You might have a digital copy. I, I okay. heard that rumor too. It it sounds like stupid. Like, why don't you just wait for it to get released on Disney Plus by itself? But it, it depends on like how you market it. If you market it as an event that you get your whole entire family together. Right, right. Like a pay-per-view match. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Or if you think, oh, it's... I would be paying this to go to the theater and watch it. Like, cause like in my head, I'm like, yeah, like if you make an event and it's like a family thing that you watch with your family, then you can like justify paying $30. That also seems like a great way to spread COVID though. It's like, let's get everybody together to watch. Well, I guess it's supposed to be like your immediate family that you're already like spreading germs with. Yeah. Exactly. But, um, like I don't think I really care about the movie that much to spend thirty dollars. Like it had to have like really good reviews for me to do that. But uh, like Will, like hmm. you, you have a family, you have two kids. Yep. Would you 
like ever consider paying thirty dollars to watch it? Because you go to the movies I, all the time. I actually here's the funny part about that is I have a lot of immediate family. I'm the middle of five siblings, and all of us watch movies. Like I'm not I'm one of five who's obsessive about like film and particularly of the main four, my older brother, my younger sister, my younger brother, we all kind of talk to each other. Same way I'm talking to you guys is what I do when I'm off this podcast is I'm immediately talking to one of them about something. And so we're already planning, like if they do release it, that's exactly what we're going to do, but we're not all going to do it like together. You know what I mean? Cause if you can purchase it on the Disney plus app, it's basically just available for everyone on their own device or whatever to stream, to watch. Um, I, I'm going to assume so, or at least it'll be available for 24 hours for, you know, like my brother will watch it and then I'll watch it in the morning or in the daytime with my kids, something like that. And that's what Are we're you sharing the app or something. Um, I would never, <laughs> well, they, they give you the option to make multiple profiles. So yeah. they do. And I will go ahead and say that I have a profile. Um, my girlfriend, Kayla has a profile. My son has a profile. My daughter has a profile. My mom has a profile. My sister has a profile. So yeah, I didn't know it went that high. Uh, so, I think they they give you literally six, and I think I've stretched yeah, it to that far. So I'm like, I feel like there's a topic of discussion for that goes beyond this and beyond COVID. Mm-hmm. Like the fact, like Disney Plus has only been around for what, like nine months now. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that, like maybe in the long run. Disney Plus will hurt box office revenue in general because it used to be if a new Disney movie came out, you either had to go watch it in the movie theaters or you wait like four months for it to come out on Blu-ray and you pay $20, $25 to mm-hmm. watch it. And they weren't really, they were on like streaming services, but not like all of them. And I feel like having a service, it's strictly Disney movies, Pixar movies, and you know that it's going to come there eventually and you're paying like seven ninety nine, or I don't even know how much I pay for it a month. Mm-hmm. It kind of like hurts you going to the movie for Like I remember when frozen two came out, I I'm not like that into frozen, but part of me was like, okay, I can go spend money and go watch frozen or I can just wait five months or however long. I think it like ended up going on Disney plus quicker because of COVID because they did okay. that. Yeah, yeah. But All right, so I'm glad you, I'm glad you even said that because I'm, I want to jump in from that point And that is what I'm talking about. Like maybe there was a bit of a cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, a separation there in anyone's mind about like going to the movies to see whatever and also having a streaming service. But see, this has been a discussion since Netflix's once you were able to start streaming things, right. Netflix was able to get those films on their streaming service. It became a literal thing of going, all right, so do I just wait? Because I'm not going to spend all this money when I know, say, like even like a year, I'll be able to watch it on Netflix or I'll be able to watch it here or whatever. And it's the same thing over and over again. It's why like I was not going to the movies all the time unless mm-hmm. there was something that was really catching my eye, which is funny that we're even talking about it because – AMC had the $20 a month thing where you could go see three movies a week and it was a legit pretty good deal. But AMC put themselves $5 billion in debt before the pandemic. They were $5 billion in debt before the pandemic hit. And um, 
they were anticipating growth and it, and it really was on the uptick. But once the pandemic hit, they have now been, I think they're on the verge of, if they haven't already, claiming bankruptcy and trying to get either Jeff Bezos or some other billionaire to buy them out and wow. um, keep them going until whenever this is over. But that's what so I mean, what guys. What you're saying like, is AMC is literally a walking dead company right now. Yeah. And the thing is, is it's not just them, though, because they're the largest <laughs> North American two different AMCs. Uh, theater. But you know what oh. I mean? Like, <laughs> but no, guys, seriously, think about it, though. The largest theater company in north mm-hmm. america is going to is going to be done which means regal will be struggling which means all the other ones will be struggling like this is a big deal for like films and going forward how we watch content yeah. how we even pick up movies and stuff like that so matt all this kind of ties into i'm also of that kind of mindset where it's like now with disney having a streaming service and a lot of other platforms being available it's like why would we want to go to a movie theater when we can just so well it depends I, on the movie too yeah because there's like, still the that movie experience like when a star wars or a marvel film is released oh, i'm not speaking for myself are, i am not speaking for myself i will always go to the movies mm-hmm. i will always do it i love the ritual of it it's my yeah. like besides the gym you guys know how much i love the gym i love going to a freaking movie theater and i don't care what i just ate i walk in the theater i'm hungry i need to get popcorn. <laughs> Like yeah, it has I'm hungry to for that $10 popcorn. Yeah, dude. Like I have to do it. And so that's what I'm seeing. Like I can understand though. I'm not just so single minded that I'm going to disregard how other people feel that like right. maybe they don't feel that way about the movies and they just think of it like, Hey, look, man, I don't need to go to any theater to see anything. I can just wait for them to come up on the streaming service. And it's true. Like theaters are going to have to figure that out. Studios are going to figure that out. Like what is, you know? Well, I their- mean, really all that money still goes to Disney anyway, whether you watch it on on the um on the disney the silver plus. screen or the yeah. home screen yeah. for yeah. disney plus yeah i feel like the only way i actually 100 percent pay attention to a movie is when i go to a movie theater right see a lot because of i'm like distracted when i'm at home i'm like either on my phone i'm yeah. not like as long as there's not like some attention. guy at the movie theater that's like sitting in front of you going like oh oh <laughs> Or oh. or the worst the worst thing ever, dude, is the whisper, the loud whisper. Yeah. Gosh, can you believe that? Or like when we saw Star Wars Episode Seven, and it's like anytime something happened, there was someone in front of us that would just be like, "Yay!" And that movie, I mean, you guys remember Episode Seven? How it was like they were just uh, anytime any character like came up, they would make a big deal about it, like. Oh, it's the Millennium Falcon. Oh, it's Han and Chewie. And they would come in and like just step into frame like epically and be like, oh, we're in frame now. It's almost like we're back in a Star Wars movie after after 20 years. It's almost like a stage production where they like pause for clap for clap. Yeah, I know. Don't get me started. It was really weird. And then, I mean, the latest trilogy. I I don't want to. I don't want (laughs) to. There's a lot to say hey, about it. Zach, we're I know, those are not the movies on trial movies right now. Say. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, You're right. what Matt? Let's, I said we're talking let's about get back. two great movies right now. We don't have to bring up no, any we new don't. Star Wars. Really You're right. So anyway, which one do we want to start with? Do we want to start with Toy Story 2 or yes, The Lion King? Yes, please. Let's oh, dive into I Toy Story to do 2. Lion King. Well, then okay. let's flip a coin for it. Zach, get a coin. Um, I don't have a coin. I do it's have okay. we can an do SD card. Okay, okay I got my SanDisk card. GoPro SD card. 
Okay. Heads for Lion King, tails for... Heads. It's heads. So it's Lion King. I knew it. Damn it. Oh, Lion King's going first? Yeah, because you said heads was Lion King, and I'm like, I'm just called it because I'm like, watch, it's going to be Lion King. I don't know. Did you say Do it again. All right. Do it again. I'm Toy Story. Do it again. I will will do it. Let's do best out of three, I guess. Shit. I dropped the SD card. These are expensive. (laughs) Should not be flipping this, actually. Just do Toy Story. Just yeah, let's do, do Toy, Toy Story. Terrible Toy Story. Because I just watched, I just watched Lion King, so it's still fresh in my mind. So let's start with Toy Story, which is okay. A little let's go ahead mind. and call out the secret weapon of Toy Story. Let's just do it. Let's just dive right in. Big Ooh. Al. <laughs> <laughs> Why do they make a commercial where he's crying at the end? Like they never take. That was so great, dude. And yeah, that's funny. really it's, weird. For the listener, for the li- listener who doesn't know who Big Al is, just just picture in your mind. I'll take you back to that wonderful year where we knew that dinosaurs were going to be brought to life via Steven Spielberg, and there was that idiot who ruined everything for everyone and unleashed the dinosaurs and gave us mm-hmm. what we wanted, which was beautiful dinosaur death. And that actor's name is Wayne Knight, and he is the voice of Al. <laughs> and if you guys don't know who I'm talking about, it's the guy who tries to take the DNA. Da, 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 oh and, my gosh! Yeah, He's always a scumbag in every movie. Yeah, and so like yeah. he does such a good job as he's Big from Al. Seinfeld, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But unfortunately, he's not the MVP for me. That's not the person I was referencing. However, he is clearly vital to the movie. I am talking about Zerg. Please. <laughs> I'm talking about Joan Joan Cusack, Jesse, man. She is the heart and soul of the movie to me. She's wonderful. I love her, and she's she's indelible to the franchise. Like Joan Cusack is Jesse's character. If you guys don't, and once again, audience, if you don't know who Joan Cusack is, please watch Adam's Family Values. She's the psycho woman who tries to kill Fester every which way and tries to kill the family, and she's a comedic genius. I love her. And to watch her as Jesse is fantastic. And um, there's, I mean, like the, and then we can just go right to um, Sarah McLaughlin's heartbreaking oh, no. song, When She Loved Me. <laughs> no, that song made me cry. <laughs> oh, man. That's that whole montage. Okay. So, once again, to put this in proper context, this is the first time Pixar really dipped their, their toe into, and I keep bringing, using that analogy. I gotta use a different one. Um, but they really introduced us to the idea of like, okay, we're going to make you laugh. We're also going to just wreck your heart and traumatize you with childhood memories. Um, yeah. This was literally the first one to do it. And it's kind of been their calling card now. Now everyone is like, has to emotionally prepare to be just devastated by the end of a, a Pixar film. Yeah. I um, remember just being sad at the end of this one and like not ever wanting to watch it again because it made <laughs> me sad. I, it's just, I don't, I think I, I'm still like getting over that, honestly. Yeah, and that's it's so always annoyed me as a kid. I I don't think I got I could that see that. Bad. It was just I, like, uh, I, I'm not a big fan of her either. And I just want to point out though that like this also was not solely directed by John Lasseter. Now the original Toy Story was his brainchild, was everything. Mm-hmm. But now we're starting to see Lee Unkridge. Now, if you guys don't know who that is, he's the guy who went on to make Toy Story three, and I believe he also directed. He co-directed Finding Nemo with Andrew Stanton. He directed Coco. And I know he directed... No, he was an editor on Monsters, Inc. But I thought for sure he was a a director as well. I thought... Hmm. I'm on his IMDb. I had all these notes prepared. But as usual, 
I skewed him, but I know he was heavily involved in those films. So like Lee Anchorage has a lot to do with like the emotional core of these films heading forward. And then that's when like, you know what I mean? Everybody else is kind of, I guess, case storytelling, like just Pixar as a whole move forward with like heavy emotional, like underpinnings in their storytelling. And it, and it works like this is the beginnings of it. And then also the, um, the, the third, the third act climax in the airport is actually really, really cool. The airport scene, I remember really liking. Thinking does it scene. remind you of the door up, scene? Dude, I watched it the other day. What was in that, Matt? Does it remind you of the door scene in uh, Monsters Incorporated? See, okay, thank you. That's the other thing. Is like you could see Lee Unkridge and like what he was trying to do with like Monsters Inc. and like and Pete Doctor too. Like because I think they both mm-hmm. worked on. It. If I'm not, if I'm wrong, then whatever. But I'm pretty sure I'm right. But like what they did with that sequence, you could tell this is almost like a precursor with like the bags going every which way. And they kind of yeah. carried that over and flushed it out and made it even more creative with Monsters, Inc. And made me same- afraid to ever fly. Honestly, I was like, my luggage is definitely going to get lost in that bullshit. <laughs> exactly. But um, also, it, it's just such a cool. Um, uh, I'm going to get super nerdy. Everyone follow me. Everybody stick with me and then I'll, I'll let you guys talk. OK, we're buckled in. OK, Our seats are in the upright position. So- a long time ago, I became not just obsessed with film, but also like kind of the under, I guess you say underappreciated unsung heroes of like action, you know, filmmaking and like not just the stunts and how cool it looks, but like the structure of a well-paced yeah. action finale. And even though Toy Story 2 is not an action film, the point is the end, the end of the film has like a three act structure that is really, really well done. And it starts with them in the car chase. Like they're now they have to, you know, chase um, Woody down. And mm-hmm. uh, the pizza, pizza, pizza planet, planet um, yeah. car, which is awesome, right? We get to the airport, and then there's getting into the airport, and then Act Two, you could say, begins right when they actually get through the conveyor belt, and like they're trying to find them, and we stop Prospector, and then Act Three. Every good action sequence has a three act structure, like you have a beginning, and you have an overarching arc of mm-hmm. you know like themes coming together. It's it's literally a movie unto itself. And then the third act, once they actually stop Prospector, once you stop Stinky Pete and get him done, and then it becomes about saving Jesse, getting her off the airplane, and then everyone realizing, hey, look, let's go home and stuff like that. Um, it's just really, really tight, really well done filmmaking with the climax of that, and I love it very much. And it, it just shows like the quality of the directing and the storytelling that Pixar has always had literally from the jump. And uh, end rant, end rant. See, like as a kid, I felt that I I found that whole entire scene like so stressful. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, they got to the airport. Oh, now they can't find the suitcase. Oh, okay, they got the suitcase. Oh, now they're in the plane. Oh, they're about to leave the plane. Now the plane's taken off. And I'm like, oh, just save her. But yeah, I promise you guys, like if you go back and watch any like James Cameron film, he's the one who kind of hammered this home, especially when he's making Terminator Two. You could follow mm-hmm. that structure within each of his action sequences, each of his films, each beginning with, you know, like a first act, second act, third act. He always likes to stick to that kind of model. And it kind of carries over into really well done, even like fight scenes and films. Um, no matter what you're doing, like a good action scene always has like an actual story, little story unto itself, basically like a dance number, like a musical. So, Yeah. I really dig it. I love it a lot. I think I never really thought about it that way. 
Yeah, I promise you, once you like go back and watch any of your favorite action films, just start to see if you can kind of piece together what they were thinking, what they were doing. I'm obsessed with it. I'm obs- I literally became obsessed with it when I was younger, like with Guillermo del Toro, with what he did with Blade 2, things like that. And um, the guys at Pixar clearly are high class filmmakers. Like this is filmmaking, once again, like as an art form. And they're they just knew what the hell they were doing. And it worked so well. Like it, Toy Story 2 is a really, really, really great film and i actually thought it was better than the first one even when i was a kid i was like i kind of like this one a little bit more because there's a little more at stake you know what i mean it's not just about an asshole who's learning to be a good guy and share the bedroom he's now you know having to choose you know hey this kid is going to grow up and he's going to get older you know and do i want to see that do i want to follow that through you know and it's it's basically an allegory of parenting which is you know what it's it's pixar's bread and butter at this point i mean literally once again, Lee Unkrich and uh, Pete Docter have been telling this story over and over again between Toy Story and Monsters, Inc. and um, Inside Out. I mean, they've, they've been rehashing this. And then Finding Nemo, too. Same thing, story of parenting. So so when I, when I think our first episode, when we discussed Toy Story 3, I remember saying, like, that was Woody's movie. That movie, yeah. like, he was the hero. He was, like, the guy that solved everything. And I think with Toy Story 2, like, if you were to give that movie to somebody, it was Buzz's movie. Like Absolutely, he, yeah. Oh, 100%. Even it though is, it was all about Woody's TV show and stuff. Right. Well, it's him, like, saving the day, and it really, yeah. like, grows Buzz as a character. Cause well, that's, that's, I'm so he glad he faces evil Buzz. That. Right, and that's what I mean. Like, he even gets to tell Woody, like, Buzz gets that moment where he's like, I'm here because there was a toy who told me there's nothing better than the love of, you know, the kid and right you know what i mean like it's such a great moment and it and it turns woody around because yeah i've been watching the you got a friend in me for yeah, oh, yeah which was really good too that they tied that in and made it like a, a thing with woody that it was woody's song so like now is it, it from the gutter yeah but i mean yeah you're right because then also buzz has to deal with the fact of like the other buzzes in the store which is so... <laughs> yeah. hold on buzz so, having to deal with himself is so that's great what, that's, that's a concept a that I have. Do you want yeah. me to bring it up? Bring yes. Oh, well, yeah. It. Let's bring it up. Okay. So, uh, my note, I just say default buzz. And I feel like, <laughs> I feel like it's something that the toy story, like whoever's making toy story, it's like almost like a crutch that they just go back towards. Cause it's like, Oh, it worked in the, in the first movie that we had buzz Lightyear. And he's so goofy, he doesn't know how to talk to anybody. And then in the second movie, it's like, what if we throw in another Buzz Lightyear that's not like our Buzz, that still acts like the old Buzz? And he's there for like maybe like, what, 20 minutes, 30 minutes of the movie. And then they even do it in the third movie where it's... it's Spanish Buzz. Yeah, Spanish Buzz in his default setting. And it, it almost feels like... Like it, I don't know. Like it's okay. Like I enjoy it, but it's just like, why do you keep on going back to the same joke over and over yeah. again just for Buzz? Did they do that in Toy Story Four? No, uh, no. They have some kind of like weird factory reset thing. No, they like, but Buzz is completely pointless in that movie, and we'll no, get to not. that. Okay, oh, we'll, we'll get to that. No spoilers. I haven't we'll seen it that. yet. Okay, we will. But hear me out on this. Hear me out. This is why they keep going back to the well on that because in the second one, in Toy Story 2, it's it's actually really close to the first one, at least as far as release date and things like that, as close as these Pixar movies can be. Um, 
And the important part is to remember that we know that Buzz is the only way he gets to actually push his character is if you make him come up against what he was or what he thought he was. And you can show a lot of character growth because because Woody and Buzz are separate, literally, like they are now separated storytelling wise and like ge- geographically within the story. You need Buzz to go up against something, but you don't want it to be like one of the other toys in the room because they kind of are all their own foils. They're all kind of side characters. So you kind of have Buzz facing himself and it just kind of puts him in a, in a bit of a predicament where he, he, his character can grow basically where he can definitely um, start to realize like how silly he was. And there are little character moments and it's really cool. Um, And in the third one in Toy Story three, I just remember they did such a good job of Buzz as he was, was not able to say what he really felt to Jesse. But then like once he, he did get flipped, he'd always have these little lines with her. Like when he was putting her, um, when he was locking her up, he's like, you're, what do you say? Like your bewitching looks will not do this to me. And so like he, they kind of sneak in that like buzz was so kind of, I guess you say meek, you know, kind of, you know, he just, he was too shy around her to say it. And especially Spanish buzz was enamored with her and made all the moves on Jesse and real and made her realize, Oh, yeah. And so yeah. like, you know what I mean? They did it in such a creative way to where it didn't feel like retreaded water because what they're doing is they're using it in a way that moves the character forward and like, you know, really kind of gets you to really care about him. And then when he does come back, you know what I mean? Um, for that, for that finale in Toy Story three. It, anyway, I just think that yes, while I have to give you points for that, Matt, absolutely hundred percent agree. They clearly went back to the well. They never went back to the well in to me, such an obvious thing where it was pointless to the character or to the story. To me. Okay. Could be wrong. I understand. You know, yeah. It's just something I notice where it's like, why do we keep on? It's like, here's default buzz, default buzz. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, like, buzz it was... is such a great character. There's a lot more. I, I love like regular buzz in Toy Story. Well, yeah, too. but the idea of him going into like, that's the default buzz when you see them all in their quote unquote cryo sleep and their weird spaceship pod things. Cause that's how buzz was originally. So it makes sense that they would all be that way. And then you have the weird commander Buzz Lightyear with his weird utility belt that had the grappling hook and stuff in it. Mm-hmm. I just think it's like something I notice watching him like back to back. Within also like seemed a- weird to have a grappling hook when he also had a jet pack. <laughs> well, it's just like you get the same jokes, but like the same style of jokes. Yeah. But um, how did you guys like like the little crew that was set to rescue Woody? I, I felt like that was like a great mixture of characters. Yeah, we had like what ham, potato head, yeah, T Rex, and was there one of the, like the alien guys? Um, Slinky Dog. No, they found them. They found them later. Oh I yeah, think, they were like, hanging the off the pizza yeah, planet. The Slinky mirror. Dog. Yeah, I but I'm glad love, that like, I'm glad they brought back the LGMs for that. I still love the line where it's like, let's pretend we're delivering like a meal and it's like, uh, what was it? Like a sandwich with a hot dog or, or no, God, it was like pork chops with French fries and a hot dog. And then you'll be the kid's toy or something like just basically giving all these rules to all the toys. (laughs) I love that scene. And I, I did make that note in the, in the first Toy Story about how I didn't like, I went blank on their names, uh, Mr. Potato Head and Ham, but I think that they were good in this movie. They were I mean, excellent. they were barely in the first movie. They're in like maybe six scenes. 
I don't know. I mean, they played a major part. Probably more than that. Yeah. They were good. I mean, could you have imagined like if the speaking spell went to rescue Woody? <laughs> oh, <laughs> or like the, the muscly buff dude that like never talks. I mean, yeah. he actually kind of would have maybe made sense to go with them. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's what's or like again, Sarge like... and all the the troops. Oh god, it would have been the longest movie. <laughs> I just, I just feel like they did such a good job of also changing, <laughs> changing the format of the storytelling for the sequel and even for the third film. Like the second one is clearly a a, a knock on you know a, a rescue mission gone awry and. Mm-hmm. Having all the side characters there, and especially when they get to meet um, the Barbie in Al's toy barn, that whole sequence <laughs> where they're running around the store and they pull up to like the pool party, I guess, all the other Barbies, all voiced by Jody Benson, by the way, the voice of Ariel, which is amazing. Like, oh, wow. I didn't know that. The voice awesome. of an angel. Yeah. Like, just fantastic casting there, Jody Benson. You know what I mean? So, like, and then obviously she gets to play the last Barbie who has that great line to Stinky Pete. It's like, Oh, you're gonna love her. She's an artist. It's supposed to be like music. a horrific reveal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that so much. Yeah. I do. I love it, man. And it I, I just can't say enough about like the pacing of the storytelling. Like nothing ever feels like it's slowing down too much. And then um you get your first kind of taste of some I guess you could say like some real some some real kind of horror leanings for like the nightmare sequence that has now become a meme. Oh, I don't want to play with you yeah. anymore. No, <laughs> oh, it's scary. It's, so yeah. trippy. <laughs> it's like, like one of those uh, Big Lebowski dream sequences that he oh my god falls in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. And you yeah, know, that was they... the scariest part of the whole movie. I don't like it. <laughs> it is just it... I. I have like one more thing to say about uh-huh. this movie. I don't really like how it's like set. Like, I feel like maybe a third of the movie is set in that office. Like that kind of like drains. Is it like oh, an okay. office? The, or uh, condo? Yeah. Like condo or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Like just something about that backdrop is just like boring to me. And, and what I do you mean it was might, all Woody memorabilia. Yeah. It might be like a nitpick, but it's just whenever, I don't know. That, like I feel like whenever we're there, it kind of like sucks the life out of me. Right. Like we're just in like yeah. we're in a movie about toys, and we're in this doll office, <laughs> doll <laughs> office, not doll office. Um. Yeah, it, I remember it being a really weird level in the Toy Story Two video game for the Nintendo sixty four. <laughs> nice. Where you're like hopping on weird train tables and stuff, and like every level you'd have to find a new part for Mister Potato Head that he lost. But you got to play as Buzz Lightyear, so it was like, this game rules. You'd shoot stuff with your laser beam. You couldn't fly, uh, but you get all kinds of weird gizmos and gadgets. Oh, man. I, if I had to put a pin in it, like I just love the final lines of dialogue in the film between that Buzz awesome. and Woody. It is such a great ending and to watch it again after I haven't seen it in a while and to be literally, I haven't seen this movie since grace was like maybe two. And even then I wasn't really paying attention to it. Cause it's been so long since I've seen toy story two, like from beginning to end sat down mm-hmm. eyeballs to the screen, watching every frame so I can come back and talk about it with you nerds. Um, hey, <laughs> who you call a nerd? 
Uh, you. I know we oh, all resolved okay. that. Much. I thought you were insulting Zach there. I was gonna. Sorry. Continue all. Yeah. Right. But um, that that final line of dialogue just really hit me, man. When Buzz tells him, you know, he's like, "Are you gonna be okay?" You know, and it, it's such a great line that Woody says. I think it's something similar to, like, you know, whatever happens, happens. You know. You know, well, at least I'll have my my good old friend um, Buzz Lightyear with me, and it's and it's cool because it's I hate to say it, you guys, but it's Disney clearly letting us know how they feel about you know a kid possibly having two dads. You know, they're already being super progressive. What these guys? <laughs> these guys but having a Will. clearly you know a little underpinning relationship that they're gonna you know what we're gonna handle this. We're gonna do this parenting thing together. We got this. I think of it more closer to like three men and a baby. You know what I mean? <laughs> Give me a short answer because we're going to be talking about Toy Story 4. But does the ending of Toy Story 4 like ruin that line a little bit? No, no, it doesn't. I'll give you as short an answer as I can and I'll just condense it to this. To me, it's a natural progression of Woody. Like from where he is in the first film to how he ends up in Toy Story 4, I feel like it's it's a very natural growth for him. You know what I mean? For Toy Story 4. That, yeah, for my rebuttal. Okay, but yeah, right. Toy Story two. Sorry, guys, that was just a joke about the the double dadding. How do you guys? I mean, there's nothing daddies. wrong with that, but I just don't think that was what uh what was insinuated. I don't there. think that's what they intended either. I was just trying to sneak <laughs> in a bad joke. Oh, I get it now. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about the scene where they're uh, repairing Woody? Oh, uh-huh. where they have the guy from the short from A Bug's Life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was great. Which is still the greatest Pixar short ever. Jerry's game. Fucking love that short. I need to see it again. It's been so long. Yeah, we should have watched it when you watched A Bug's Life. As a kid, I was so happy in the Disney Plus. I don't think anybody understands like how hyped I was when I was watching Toy Story Two, and literally Jerry was fixing Woody, and I was like, I was slapping my mom's arm. Literally, the movie theater like went crazy. I remember when no, nobody went crazy. It was literally just me because I was like, that's the guy. (laughs) I remember when I was watching in the movie theater, like everybody started cracking up when they saw him. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. Damn, I wish I had that audience because it was just me by myself. I think this was like near when it had just come out when we saw it, but I don't remember. Oh. I think I saw it like with my grandpa, my grandma and my uncle and stuff. Um, my mom. You know what, though? I think we should at least try to give Kelsey Grammer a little bit of like a nod. Oh, like, yeah. I think say about like the actual villain in a Pixar movie because Pixar movies don't tend to have an actual villain most of the time. But I feel well, like the Toy Story... in the first one, there was definitely like the first Toy Story. Yeah. And then Bugs Life, there was Hopper. And yeah. I feel like I, I could be wrong, but this might be like the first. Oh, it's a good guy. No, it's a villain sort of thing. Yeah. And it even. Well, like, oh, yeah, because this would have been before um, Toy Monsters Story, Inc. Yeah. Before we had the. Uh, yeah, yeah. What I water calling the um, the water noose character. Like every time that happens, you have the water noose arc. You got to call yeah. it the Stinky Pete. Yeah. You know, that's well, a who's really the Stinky good... Pete for this movie? Zach, good job, man. Because honestly, I didn't even draw that that parallel, but you're right. It's very much like the water yeah. noose thing. But I, we I have, have that with Coco, too. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm sure there's plenty of other Pixar films. I mean, we had that with uh, this wasn't a Pixar one, but um, Wreck-It Ralph. The robot one. But I could yeah, kind of understand where Prospector, and... like how Prospector became 
the way he was because he was, you know, a part of a set and nobody ever picked him out. Nobody wanted to play with him. No kids. Yeah. So it's like, kind of sad. Yeah. Like you, it's always you, like you kind of feel for the villain where it's like they're not entirely bad. It's just they were like dealt a bad hand and now they're just bitter about it. I get that. That's kind of relatable. See, and, that's and what I was gonna say. then you feel bad. It's like, come on, can't we just like show them a little bit of love and then make things all right? I feel like, like you do can... we have to kill them at the end of the movie? Well, which or they do something him, weird. Send away to a young girl who's clearly going to play with him. Oh yeah, she's. <laughs> oh god, <laughs> going to paint his face and dress him up pretty. He will be played with and loved. So I feel like knows, maybe Prospector turned it around. You know, maybe he's a really nice toy now, and that you know, who knows? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like they're trying to apply like yeah. real world human problems, but like trying to make them like toy centric. If well, that absolutely. makes any sense. It yeah. And sense then like when you think about are... it too hard, it just starts to mess with your brain and you feel really weird. <laughs> because like Jesse, like she's just afraid of being like abandoned again. Yeah. Which is which like a really sense. real human issue. Yeah. Do you guys have anything else to say about Toy Story 2? I think we kind of covered pretty much all. Well, the only other thing is there's the bit when um, when Buzz, when default Buzz finds out that Zerg is his dad. Oh, yeah, that's beautiful. And then immediately they're just like playing ball together and it's really weird. I love it. I loved it as a kid. Because they like, they hyped up Zerg so hard and then they didn't really have like an epic thing. That's still, that still kind of lands for me though. Like it, to me, it's a funny little inside joke. And then also knowing now that Disney's going to eventually buy Star Wars. I was like, ha ha, Disney. It is kind of weird seeing like a pop culture, pop culture reference from Disney Mm -hmm. or from Pixar. Yeah. I mean, but it, it just it fit in that moment. It was really funny. And then also yeah. we get a great bit where they're running out to the um, Pizza Planet car. And it's like, hey, Buzz, you know, are you coming? Buzz literally says to the other Buzz, he's like, I'm going to have I'm going to play catch with my dad. <laughs> <laughs> it, it almost like ahead, Buzzy. <laughs> it almost like makes me feel sad, like for people that don't really have a great relationship with their dad and them right. seeing Thanks, Matt. Oh, Thanks, sorry. Matt. Oh. I promise I'm okay. I'm sorry. No, but just seeing like, oh, they meet and then they're like doing all these father-son things right away. Oh, God, that must be heartbreaking. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. I'm it, sorry. Yeah. It's just, no, it made me laugh, man. I just got it to me. I was like, oh, okay. And then like they're making fun of the, you know, Vader and Luke thing where. Yeah. You know, I mean, going. Zerg is kind of a fun character if you watch the Buzz Lightyear of Star Command animated series. Where there's, it's actually evil show, Zerg. Zach? No, well, it's, it's, I don't know. It was a show that I watched a lot as a kid. And I was like, this is fun. It kind of helped me like get into sci-fi in a weird way. Cause there wasn't like a whole lot of Star Wars content coming out back then. And I was right. still like too young to really get a lot of Star Trek stuff. Oh, uh, so with that, I feel like we, we mm-hmm. definitely, we gave so, yeah. Toy Story 2 its, its day. I think so. At least for now. Anyway, let's hop over to the Lion King. Uh, Arguably. Okay, fine. Let's not. Lion King, a 1994 film starring Rowan Atkinson, Matthew Broderick, Nikita Kalame Harris. It's a song. 
Circle of life. Come on, you guys. Really? Nobody knows the lyrics? I mean... No, I just watched it, but I forgot all the lyrics. I I just wanted to, like, figure out which topic to bring up first. So, I feel like... Let's start with Rafiki, okay? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, Rafiki. It feels like Rafiki comes in and hugs Mufasa and is all, Oh, good to see you, friend, and whatever. But it seems like Rafiki only exists at least on Pride Rock, because he lives somewhere super far away, apparently, in the middle of BFE, and he makes this pilgrimage there. Because he's somehow in between where Simba's just been chilling for X number of years and where Pride Rock is, but not close enough to have his area be affected by the hyenas. So... What you're saying is we need a map. Yeah, we, we definitely need a map. And also Rafiki, it seems like he's only there to hold Simba up to show him to everybody because no one else has thumbs. <laughs> like, think about it. The Why lions can't hold him up over Pride Rock. Or <laughs> are you trying to underestimate his impact? I'm not. I'm he's like, also he's like a spiritual guider. Yeah, he's the spirit man or whatever. The witch shaman, doctor, the witch doctor. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and he's a baboon with his big blue butt. And hey, he's, I mean, I love the character. <laughs> I absolutely love Rafiki's character. I think he's wonderful, but there is just a lot of weird things. He's kind of, cause he has that Yoda vibe too, where he's showing him the way doing the whatever. And there's this trope in movies where you have this kind of, I was thinking about it as I was watching the the scene with him where you have the character that's not like super, um, he's a hermit basically. And for some reason that makes us think that he's wise and intelligent, but really he's just like spouting a bunch of nonsense. Not really. I mean, he was able to realize that Simba was alive before everybody. Yeah, knew. but it's, this isn't like specific to Rafiki, but to the Rafiki archetype in general, where it's like, you just have this, this crazy dude freaking out and hitting you with his stick and smells feathers and understands that Simba is still alive somehow from some dust that that blew into his face. It's some sort of like Rafiki magic that we're not wise enough yeah. to understand. And then he tells Simba, like, look here and you'll see Mufasa's force ghost in the clouds. Yep. I love his and little art that he did with the fruit. That's, yeah, the like little him fruit like art. splitting up the peach or whatever that fruit was is just like it's some kind awesome. of gourd. Yeah. Uh, this movie's perfect. I don't really have much to say. Honestly, yeah, it's a pretty good movie. From first frame to last frame, it's it's really hard to mess with this film. Like really, even to nitpick it because any mm-hmm. kind of nitpick, you're gonna start having to realize that like, oh wait, it's an animated film. It leans heavy into the animation. Yeah, it gets I mean, really. I do have a few nitpicks. I have somewhat of a nitpick. But What's yeah, your Matt's go nitpick? Go for it. Go for the nitpick because honestly, like we already know this movie's perfect, so we might as well just go ahead and start nitpicking the shit out of it because I feel like everything else that has Pretty been said movie. has already been said. Let's just do it. Let's go in. Go, Matt. Hold on. Before I do the nitpick, I want to say one thing. Um, it feels weird. It. It almost, it almost feels like Lion King is just like it's on a, it's in like a league of its own where we just hold it up to such a high standard. It's not like even like Baby Simba. It's not even like that old of a movie. 
but it feels like a classic movie, like like a Gone with the Wind, Citizen Kane sort of movie where we didn't know, know is like a classic film. Mm-hmm. But it, it almost feels weird watching that movie and just seeing how much of an impact every scene has. Because like it has such a huge impact on pop culture, on like everything Timon and Pumbaa says is quotable. Like they're not on not the screen that. for that long. No, they not, really aren't. They Matt. don't come in until like halfway through. Yeah. Two, Matt, take like. out Timon and Pumbaa. Like, let's just go from the very beginning. After the big number that opens the film, which is iconic in and of itself, yeah. you open with Scar playing with the mouse, and it's fantastic. Like immediately his dialogue, Jeremy Irons, is the greatest. I think it's the best performance of his career. I know he's gone on and gotten Academy Award nominations and stuff like that. I get all that. But his voice acting here is so on point. Oh, yeah. And then you get James Earl Jones showing up. And, you know, their their dialogue is so great, even down to James Earl Jones growling at Jeremy Irons. And I'm like, as a kid, dude, it was so impactful. Like, as a it was kid, I was just dumb as the lion version of Jafar. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, it was so good. Like, I just, I fucking just died inside when, you know, Mufasa's freaking saving his son. Like, now I got to cry as a kid from a kid's perspective. Um, and then, like, as an adult, there's nothing more powerful than doing literally everything you can to save your kid like doing mm. every damn everything intense. it's so intense doing the music that's why hans zimmer won for the academy award because there's oh, really never anyone who deserved to win more for i a thought score. the fight with scar at the end was a little weird uh, really the slow-mo i yeah I, the slow-mo i felt like just kind of looked like two cats playing <laughs> for most of it. you know what's funny is i bet in front you of a big fireball down though because if they'd have tried to do it like in real time or like you know in regular 24 frames mm-hmm. per second i honestly think that it wouldn't have worked because it probably would have looked like them just slapping each other so to slow it well, down you get to play that amazing sound effect of them like making the impact yeah so it, it's more impactful that way quite i mean literally. for like 1994 it's not it's not bad it's just like this is a very like minor nitpick but it does feel like one of the limitations of the thing of what about the fight weird... sequences with animation, but there were cool camera moves like at the very beginning when again, Rafiki holds up baby Simba and you have that cool orbital shot of yes. Simba with the parallax and everything. And all of that had to, that had to have been hand drawn cells as the camera rotates. Yep. So that's a lot of work. I'm oh. sure. How do you guys and it looked really cool, like those orbitals on Pride Rock. It's awesome. And you have all oh, the animals know, doing their yeah. thing. How do, Go ahead, Matt. How do, do you guys do Yeah, how do you guys feel about when uh when uh Mufasa does die and then it has that weird camera effect? Like I don't know if it like zooms in or zooms out. Oh, the, on, the like, Simba's uh, face, the and he's like, Dolly no! zoom. Yeah. Yeah. And then they like go back to it at the end. Yeah. Like, how do you, what do you mean? Think? When do they go back to it at the end? Well, when, when, he, when like they reveal he flashes back when he says, I killed Mufasa. And then like he flashes back to when he's a kid. It then reverses the shot. So before oh. when Mufasa dies, I think it does it zoom in or zoom out either way. Well, I it's, it does like a reverse effect when he yeah. remembers and then he jumps from the, the ledge and pins. Yeah. It down. seems like a little bit cheesy. But well, it's sure. a little cheesy now, but back then it wasn't really done yeah. as much. Like I think the first the first instance of it that I know of was in Jaws when they're like, "Oh, there's a shark on the beach," and then the lifeguard or the mayor or whoever it was 
Right. They do the dolly zoom on that. And how you do that is you, uh, I believe it's you dolly towards someone and you right. adjust the focus. Well, see, they the didn't do that way. for this though. I mean, clearly what they did is they literally had to draw that. <laughs> they had to draw that. Like, well, there's still, I mean, it still could have been a matte painting and you have it spaced out. True. Like they did for Bambi. They invented that technology yeah. for Bambi. So yeah, you're right. They, yeah. We talk about that every episode. We do because it's fucking groundbreaking. Like it's amazing. And then I mean, you're not wrong. But and there were a few shots like that in this even where they did that yeah, the camera yeah. going through a matte painting type deal. Um, I will I will go ahead and say this as far as like that shot choice. Mm-hmm. How else would you have done it that would have been any more impactful or any less? Because quite honestly, I feel you like You mean aside from like drawing it and like Gaussianing the background? Like maybe I just not the zooming. I just like don't maybe, think. Well, if you don't do the zoom, you don't get that full effect because the yeah. whole aspect of it is. It's not my job. If I knew how to do it, I'd be working at Disney. Well, I'm <laughs> what do not... you mean? That's like a shot that you'll maybe use once in any movie. But they used ever. it twice. They went back to the same shot. Well, yeah. So for weird. that, they might have just rewound the footage and put the footage in the um. Yeah. In the uh, processing thing backwards for that yeah, part. That's what I feel like they did more than anything. I mean, but it. I don't, to me, it, it just, it all works. I don't see how that scene works if you don't have that really fast zoom in and that immediately, like, it's almost like it's literally hitting Simba 2, or yeah, it's hitting Simba 2 as Mufasa falls. Almost as if, like, when he makes that impact, it also just smacks right into Simba, the, the effect of it. And then also, yeah. you compound that with the quiet scene after the last wildebeest is running yeah. past. And oh, running God. Don't do yeah. That. yeah. So that's what I mean. Like, it it works. It, you can't say it doesn't work. It has the full effect. I don't think the scene works if you just keep the, the shot steady and he just yells no and runs down. I don't think it has. Yeah, I think, I think in the context, it definitely works. It does. Are you ready Absolutely. for my, my big? Well, it's not like that big of a complaint. It's just something I noticed. That was yeah. it. So... This is going to be like a big lead up. So if I say something and you're like immediately upset because <laughs> when I say this word, you're going to be like, what the, what the hell? What the frick are you talking about? Matt, we're used to you just starting shit on this podcast. So just go. No, let's, I want to hear it. Yeah. Let's, let's give Matt his due. Matt, when you're done, let us just say a rebuttal or something. Yeah. 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 Of course. Yeah. So Scar. When when you first see Scar, he's like so he's such like a like an epic character. You're like immediately drawn into him. Everything he says, like his dialogue is way too smart for a kid's movie. Like you can't even understand. And he's just like this person that this lion that like hates the position that he's in. He wants to be king of Pride Rock and he has like two lions that are in his way. And that's just like, that's just basically his personality is he wants to be in charge. And it's just so great in the first half of the movie, how like his personality and how he's basically like two facing everybody and everything that happens. That's bad. He is the cause of it. And he seems like some grand, like almost like a comic book villain sort of thing. Like like something like the Joker would do where like in the Dark Knight where he's like pulling all the strings and you can't mm-hmm. do anything but react to it. Yeah. And it all leads up for 
he's finally king. And then what does he do? He lets the kingdom go to shit and he just Pretty much immediately, yeah. Like, does he just want power? And yes. And he doesn't know what to do with it? Like, he Correct. can't be a king? Correct. He just wants power. Like, he has a song with a bunch of Nazi imagery. and Yeah, like, I did like the practical lighting of that song with the sulfur plumes. Right? It's just like, it's like he's so, maybe maybe they mean to do that, where it's just like. They did, Whoa. they meant to do it. Okay. Yes. And he like, at the end, he's like so, like just pretending to be weak, weaker than he actually is. He reminded me of Benny from The Mummy. Like a little, like weasel that will just lie just to get oh, his way. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I. Well, that's, yeah, that's. Because then even the hyenas the turn on him at the end, because he basically sold them out. Yeah. Or tried to sell them out. So maybe like, well, maybe I just like thought more of Scar watching them in like the first half. Like, I haven't watched Lion King all the way through since I was like really young. And I used to watch it a lot as a kid. But like I picked up on that on my rewatch. But he just seemed like more of a menacing figure. And like he knew what was going on mm-hmm. and he was controlling everything. And then when he finally becomes king, he doesn't know what to do. Yeah, I mean, the hyenas come in as he's delivering Mufasa's eulogy, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then they're just coming down. He's like, oh, now we're all together in one. And everyone's like, oh, what? What? Also, why do the hyenas outnumber them so much? I mean, I, it's once again, just more of like a storytelling device more than anything. Yeah, like, yeah I guess that makes kind sense. Of if we try to feel like, yeah, that. Get too our heroes are outnumbered like you know have some kind of suspense going on because mm-hmm. obviously if Simba just came up and just wrecked shop and the lions outnumbered the hyenas then you would have no suspense you would have no sense of tension you should be like okay they're gonna kick ass and everybody's gonna go home um so I mean there's that but more importantly you're right Matt like it's kind of whether or not you really kind of vibe with it or not but that's what Scar is he's someone who just wants power because he's he knows he's smarter than the average lion right mm-hmm. he knows that he's got all this intelligence he uses big words but for all of his intelligence he's not very smart like there's a difference between being like an actual decent person and being empathetic and that kind of intuitive intelligence and having just a condescending power hungry nastiness to where you're right matt like once he becomes king what does he do he says makes it illegal to say mufasa yeah, like he. <laughs> yeah, that's like the one law. He's like, you know the law. Yeah, right. You never speak his name. Like that's okay. That's his one law. Yeah, and it's just it. That's literally the whole point. He's he's a maybe terrible, if he focused more terrible. on infrastructure. Uh, Pride Rock wouldn't have gone to sh- such shit. So was yeah, it basically but- he disturbed the circle of life, and then that's why everything. Yeah, because then they were like overhunting and all the yeah. herds moved on from Pride Rock. Exactly. I think it was um, probably because they had like the hyenas move in and the hyenas obviously needed more food. That's, so that's it was a drain point. on the resources There's of that, Pride Rock. Right. Probably. Yeah. I, I just love like how when Scar is in charge, it's like gray Pride Rock. Everything yeah. looks terrible. And then whenever Simba or Mufasa's in charge, it's like beautiful. All right, but you know what? Like Simba See, comes back and starts and, the rain. Let's just dovetail off of that to the fantastic finale of the film that to me is stuck in my brain and for, forever. It's it's just great because Nathan Lane has the best line to me. It's 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 my favorite line. What do you want me to do? Dress in drag and do the hula? <laughs> like, yeah, that's a great transition. Immediately, you're in there. Film. I dare you to find me like a comedic. <laughs> 
print. Like it's so perfect. And then like the song he sings, yep, wow. Yep. <laughs> like just immediately start singing that song. Well, and it's so fantastic. Yeah, that's, that's my favorite part of the movie. The, uh, the it's Sydney Poitier um callback when you have um Pumba um tell, hey, are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? Oh, oh yeah. now you're they call me Mr. Pig. Like that's that was a joke that they used in the Timon and Pumbaa show a lot too. Oh man. But like the first time I heard it, I mean I was like Yeah. I had um such great family and friends tell me about it and then I had to go watch in the heat of the night and you know the all heat this, of the night. Well, you know what I mean. Like whatever. Yeah. All the yeah. all the great iconic uh, performances by Sydney Poitiers and all that stuff. Like it it's great. I love the little callback that they had. And, oh, that's a movie title. I thought you meant like yeah, I had to watch be. the movie in the heat of the night. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. It's the Sydney Poitier film. I might have pronounced it wrong. In the heat. Well, you're, you guys I mean, it's not it. really. It seems hard to mispronounce in the heat of the night. <laughs> no, I'm trying to make sure it's, it's the right one. Yeah, it is. In the heat of the night. <laughs> yeah. Well, a, that scene, I feel like I got introduced to that that scene way too young. Like I wasn't able to appreciate it at the time, but like it's one of those scenes where like you know your parents are laughing, yeah, right. But it's just like too fast paced that you you miss like half the things that they're saying. Well, because your little baby brain isn't developed yet. I know. I was like three when when yeah, uh, your little baby brain still thinks that when the hands go over the eyes, that mom and dad are gone. Yeah, yeah, that object permanent. They they must have sent Mufasa and Scar got rid of him. Yeah. All those those antelope or whatever. What were they? Wildebeests. Uh, so, so do we want to like... Oh, sorry. Go, Matt. No, what were you about to say? I was going to say, do we want to bring up the live... The quote-unquote live-action Lion Not King movie? Really. Not particularly. I didn't okay. watch it. I'll, I'll bring it up. Matt dragged us down into the depths of live-action Aladdin and live-action Beauty and the Beast. Well, we yeah, but I feel like it's worth mentioning, right? I mean, no, that's a big I'm part of these movies. Honestly, I'm surprised the show's still going on. I thought all of our sponsors would just like bugger off and. What go sponsors? Find all of them, like the V. Well, if you're interested you in sponsoring up. an episode of Great Movie Showdown, please uh, DM us on Twitter at Great Showdown on Twitter. If you, I haven't seen it, but like a lot of points that I hear from people is basically like trying to make realistic animals sing these Mm -hmm. songs and act like cartoons. Does it really work? And also I know that they sing, can you feel the love tonight? And it was daytime. Oh, well that's, and it made a billion dollars. Like a big, uh, how much did it over a billion? Okay. So, and how much was spent on it? Probably 200 million. Probably like, Avengers style money because of the CGI and I think like the director directed Iron Man. Well, yeah, well, John yeah, Favreau. Favreau. Yeah. He, had such he directed Iron Man job. and the showrunner for Mandalorian. So, yeah. well, no, 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 um, he shared that credit. I thought with uh, yeah, he did with Dave Filoni. Dave well, yeah, was the two like wonderful, wonderful uh, Star Wars people. Like, can you honestly like I can't picture a better Star Wars team than John Favreau and Dave Filoni. Quite honestly, maybe they should be Wars and Rebels. For a while, man. Dave Filoni is like this. The, well, yeah, he should be the Kevin Feige of this the uh, Star Wars universe thing. Going yeah, I'm not there. sure why he isn't. Honestly, um, 
because his name isn't Kathleen Kennedy and he doesn't have friends and like, you know, billionaire class and stuff like that. And he's just a fun creative who just wants to. Yeah. And it's clear that he's like a fan of star Wars. Right. And so that's what I mean. Like he just, it's simply put, he just doesn't have the clout in the industry to do that. And I don't think anyone's going to give him that shot. Well, I mean, I'm kind of okay with that. If he keeps doing like what he's doing and giving us like the real star Wars, you know, Oh my God. Right. Please just shut up. Cause I feel like that's what, that's what we've been getting with the last season of clone wars with the Mandalorian with star Wars rebels. We get these really cool Admiral Thrawn arcs that I hope more stuff is coming from where there's talks of us getting a bad batch series. Mm. Have you heard about that? Will? yeah. 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 Isn't that exciting? <laughs> I'm waiting, man. I, I, I reserve my excitement for when I actually have it in front of me and I can watch it. I can yeah, that's it. fair. Um, How do you guys feel about the songs for this one? <sighs> See, that's I like, I like I don't. Just can't wait to be King's a little weird. Morning reports a little weird. Really? Why? Morning no report. way. What? Yeah, wasn't that in this? No, that's the live action thing or something like that. Uh, okay. No. Um. For some reason I thought that was King. No. 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 That is fantastic. That's iconic. It's like that's... a drug trip. Yeah, the different animation. Yeah, oh, with like dude. the colors and stuff. It it feels like a little abstract for this movie. Oh, I like it. I feel oh, like dude. all the songs are solid, but they're not like oh. songs. They're not really songs that I like to listen to outside oh, of the movie. If that makes crazy? any sense, but it works well in the mu- in the movie. It's a bunch of make a man out of yous. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, I mean, Scar has his I want song, as Matt would call it. Yeah. Simba has his I want, I want song where he also kind of portrays himself as a petty little like r- royal snob. Come yeah, on, he's man. a little kid. And he yeah, and he's like, oh, I'm going to be king and I'm going to have to I'm going to get no. to tell you what to do, Uncle Scar. No, you, you no, fucking ninny. no, it's it's awesome. It's amazing. It's every kid's anthem. It was mine for a long time, especially with, with the lead in. Once that music starts, I don't know why, but my blood gets pumping. I love it so much. I get so excited. And like the first line too, the first two lines, like I, I you have to come in with that like emphasis. You gotta be like, I'm gonna be a mighty king. So enemies beware. You gotta get like, in <laughs> heavy, it like Michael Jackson. <laughs> I know, dude. You gotta yeah. go in like heavy, dude. So you gotta go in just oh, it's so great. Well, I, I referenced on the show before uh, the Disney karaoke with the drag queen. Yeah. And one time I did go up. It was me and Megan. And we we did Just Can't Wait to Be King. That was our song. And I don't think Megan sang too much, so I'd have to alternate between the two voices. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> and, and I love it. I, I think I brought this up before, too, but their karaoke, it's just playing the song and it has the audio and it has all the vocals and it has the words. So you're yeah. singing with the vocals. It's not like real karaoke. Of course right. not. But I, I, I do want to, if we're going to talk about the songs, we have to talk about um, that amazing um, Akuna villain Matata. song. No, well, yeah, Akuna Matata, but also like we have to give the villain their, their day. We did talk about it a little bit, but continue. <laughs> what do you mean? We can talk about it a little bit, dude. Well, it's talking about the lighting the from best. the sulfur plumes. That was last episode. Right. But um I'm just saying, man, like what is it? Be prepared is is a fantastic song for a villain. It's actually to me the best one. I could say um, that, yeah. It, yeah. It, it it encapsulates everything and 
Jeremy Irons is is fantastic. I think he's the only one who didn't have like someone sing his lines for him. Oh. <laughs> like cuz yeah, Matthew Broderick didn't even get to sing. Even though he's now gone on to do all kinds of Broadway can sing in his own right. That's not Matthew Broderick singing in the film. Um, well, I mean there wasn't really a song for him to sing in the film. Oh, he he had a part. Did Simba in sing a song? Did Grown Up yeah. Simba sing a song? Yeah, he was supposed to be uh, near the end of Hakuna Matata. That's the whole point. Oh, yeah. Okay, but never mind. Yeah, I guess there was that. But also, That's um, sort of a song. Can you I feel guess. the love tonight? Yeah, can you feel the love tonight? It's holding back. He's hiding. Oh, he was probably so... busy getting ready for Inspector Gadget. Maybe. Yeah. Right. Oh God. That, it is. That... It or is um, weird. the the Music Man remake that disney did in 2003 i feel bad for simba because he's like he's led to that area a stampede happens his father dies but he still thinks that he's to blame even though he was told to go there yeah well he's a kid he doesn't know he just trusts his uncle he trusts his creepy uncle right and then you mix that with like emotional (laughs) you mix that with like emotional trauma then you really just kind of have someone who's just messed up period yeah like if there was any adult around simba when scar was talking to him they would have been like scar you're pretty fucked up dude (laughs) this is a child i love and god what's his face uh, Zazu, Zazu, how they are yeah. talking about Scar after they first it's like, oh, everybody, every family has one. My family has two. Like, oh, he'd make a very handsome throw rug, Your Highness. We could take him uh, out and just talking him. about the king's brother. Yeah, <laughs> but the fact that they're talking to him, like, like yeah. he's like a family member that's obnoxious or something. Yes, but, but he's oh, like man. literally a murderer. Yeah, <laughs> it's so every hard. family has like, a psychopath. <laughs> Oh, but um, yeah, we can we can dive right into Timon and Pumbaa. I don't feel like we've given them that much. Which also had an animated series uh, in the nineties. Oh, oh man, dude, they Just were huge. Off them going yeah. on weird adventures. And- I remember, like, this movie was so big. Timon and Pumbaa were on like the um, the Disney Channel like transitions, like when your show was coming to a commercial break. <laughs> Timon and Pumbaa would come up, yeah, Just to tell you that it's coming. You know, your show will be right back, and that kind of thing, like. It's it was insane, but Akuna Matata also once again, that that song when it goes, dude, when it starts up, you just get excited. Yeah. I don't know how you as a human being can't like hear that song playing and immediately just start yeah. singing it. It's well, so that was also it. the intro it's to so the uh, Timon and Pumbaa man. animated series. Oh yeah, but there is one thing about that, the song that, that I want to bring up. So they start so, the song. It's kind of like a montage. It's very minorly, I would consider it a montage. They're walking on that log. You get like teen yeah. Simba where he's got a mohawk for two and a half seconds. And then you have grown up <laughs> Simba. And it's like either this log is really long or they're skipping out a few frames, you know? They are. They're clearly skipping out. It's like frames. what? Yeah. Like how did these these guys relationship grow and how much time had passed? How much right. time had passed to make Pride Rock? Into this barren ass wasteland. I mean, I mean, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> we would have to like know, like, we would have to like take a lion, go see like a lion that looks like Simba, and then yeah. match him up with like a lot, like an adult lion, and then let's look this up. Well, yeah. How much time I passes? Say, like, two or three years, maybe. While you're looking that up, I would just like to, I would just like to go ahead and counter that and go ahead and say like. Once again, I ask you, how do you make the story better 
by adding more time of like what it is they're doing in their day to day. Like, do we really need to see teenage Simba? Because from the story perspective, it'd be like, I just want to know how much time passed. But that's what I mean. Like there's a Buzzfeed article. (laughs) Oh God, someone did it. Okay. 18 reasons why. (laughs) (laughs) No, it says the timeline of the lion King was confusing me. So I tracked down some answers. This is an article by Jen Abidor. Just oh, to uh, just to credit them as we uh, cite these sources. Yes, as I important. scroll through this. Okay, can I? Talk? I watch him grow up over the course of Hakuna Matata. I too would have loved my puberty to happen over just one musical interlude. Whatever. Okay, get over yourself. Exactly. I'm gonna say early to mid twenties. It's Hamlet, no one right? Needed the answer to this question. <laughs> Go ahead. I want to hear this though. Let's do. There's it. a lot of. Um, I'm going to post this link to you guys in the chat so that you can follow along and then we'll get to your how thing. About Matt, you, how about you find the answer and then let us know when you find the answer and we can bring it. I'm pulling it up and I'm going to scroll yeah. and I'm going to rush right to this answer here. All right. Yeah. Let's see. Whoever can find it first. First of all, let's explore how much time passed between circle of life and when someone makes me fall. No, we don't need that. We just need to know. So it says he's still roughly two months old. At the first stage of the Hakuna Matata evolution. Correct. The middle phase, he appears to be between 20 months and three years old, which makes him sub-adult lion. Okay. Sub-adult is also a convenient... Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, she's being There's funny. jokes in there. Full-fledged And adult finally, full-fledged, blah, blah. Four to seven years old. Let's say he was five. Seems right. Okay. Uh, so, so five. So that would be roughly five years, because if he was like two months. Okay. Okay. Five years. Okay, so five years. And what is a meerkat's lifespan? Oh, man. Matt, save us. Save, <laughs> me. save us from Zach trying to logistically break lifespan. apart a fucking Oh, costume. hang on. 12 oh, to 14 years. Ratatouille next. Yeah, let's see the lifespan. So 12 of to 14 years in captivity. So I would say like maybe 10 years in the wild. Less than that, obviously, for obvious reasons. But. Seven to, let's say, seven to nine years in the wild, probably. Yeah. Obviously, like, depending on stuff. But, okay, so that means, because I was wondering, like, because I know mice and rats and stuff, they can live for, like, two to three years. Oh All right, gosh. so that's that. So the timeline <laughs> works. The timeline <laughs> works. That was my question. All right, Matt, take us away. God. I was just going to talk about how cool the grubs looked. Yeah. How they're all colorful. And they actually like look appetizing. I don't know if in Africa. They actually do. They look like gummy worms. Yeah. In Africa, maybe they have like fancy looking bugs that are all colorful. I don't know. Or maybe it's just the animation. It's probably the animation. Probably. Well, yeah. I don't know. It could be. Anyway, we... anything else? Yeah. I'm, I'm are you ready to vote. Pretty. Oh. One thing I want to bring up. This is like, like I feel like this scene like hit me when I rewatched it, just because of I don't like to use the word epic because I feel like it's almost like a joke word now. Like where it is, it's very much so. Where like you just say like this is epic, but the scene where he's like running back to pride rock and then the music is playing and he's in yeah, slow he's motion like for one shot in front of a desert. It's like also he leaves without telling his friends. 
It's because his people need him. Yeah, and but he could have just he been like, hey, guys, him. I'm going back to Pride Rock because no, they were no, on his side with, anyway to go back. Zach, he already Zach, left them. Explain this. No, he left them without telling them because he didn't want them to be in danger. He's going to go fight. He's going to go do it. He's not going to bring Will. them to back. Seems reckless. He already, oh, he already left them. Remember after Can You Feel the Love Tonight? He went to true, go. Yeah, my... he was like, she's stupid. Screw her. All right, she doesn't know what I've been super through. Super negative about this. Hold on. Really... No, no, no. She already, no, no, he already no. left just... him to go talk to yeah. Rafiki, and then Rafiki was the one that convinced him. So he just right. left Rafiki. He didn't have time to say. Technically, Mufasa was the one that convinced him. Yeah, that's true. Mufasa definitely did. Well, and Muf- well yeah, and Rafiki. He's I, like, you uh, can either I love the, the monkey from his it uncle? or. Oh, yeah. Gosh, yes. Actually, no, I was going to say Rafiki's lines are still like. Obviously, they're like pseudo philosophic, kind of like you know pseudo philosophic. You know what I mean? Like it, oh, it doesn't matter. It's in the past. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I get it. Rafiki's awesome. Yeah, is, yeah. I committed battery on you, but that's in the past. Exactly, and it's like try that in court. But, but once again, for what the film is trying to do, it's perfect. It's it's. It is. It's just, per- what else can I say? I mean, everybody already knows all these scenes. Literally, I could sit here and talk about like one little thing a character does in a scene. I bet you everyone at home knows exactly what we're talking about. So I don't want to talk any specific scene to death, but I do want to say this. The the film, to me, it, it is epic, Matt. And I'm glad you even said, like, yeah, we can address it. Like, people saying, oh, that was epic, and this song's epic, or wow, this scene's so epic. But literally, like, The Lion King, to me, is when you're watching it, you're realizing that this is, like, peak animation this is peak storytelling this is like peak anything to me the lion king is like in a class of its own just in films alone like it's in that it's in that upper echelon to me that like put it on everyone's watching it everyone's having a good time the music is it's it's perfect what can i say i love that soundtrack there's not one bad song in the film where i'd be like "Ah, i could kind of skip this no dude even Feel the love tonight. Yeah, all right. You know, you want you don't want to be gushy and all up in your feels, right? Guys have to be stoic and awesome. No, dude. That shit gets you in your feels. Like I look at my woman, I'm like, yeah, baby, we're gonna feel the love tonight. <laughs> we <gonna> feel. <laughs> and then you listen to the Elton John version. Oh, even better, dude. Elton John kills it. You can't disrespect Elton John, man. You, you know what I'm excited about is uh next week we're gonna be talking about Tarzan. And how Phil Collins does the soundtrack, but he actually sings everything that's in the movie. And Elton John yeah. did this soundtrack, and he doesn't sing in Rest the movie. In peace, I think he Kershaw. sings. I think he sings at the end of it, like does the typical pop vocals for right. a song. But well, and the the opening number. No, I don't think that's him. That's not him. Really? No, no not in the opening. Oh number. no, that's oh. like a woman. Oh, never mind. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they got like real African people to do all that because like, I don't think you could just have your typical American speak a different language like that. Yeah. And I wish I had the uh, the link here, but I would have to show you guys the really cool documentary behind like Hans Zimmer trying to get the guy who helped him um, lead basically this this I don't want to call it a choral, but like there was already basically a group that did the chance, everything like that. They had great music yeah. on their own and Hans Zimmer was trying to bring them in. And I just remember he had to pitch that to Disney and they're like, well, like, can you find them? 
And Hans Zimmer's like on this mad dash to even freaking find these people. I love that. Bring them in. This is and in like, the pre-internet age. Minute. He was calling them like, yeah, yeah, we're going to be there. And it's like, it's getting down to the last minute and they do, they show up and he's like, have you read the music? Like, no, but you know, we'll go with it. And they were fantastic. And they recorded everything. Like, it's a great story that Hans Zimmer tells. If you guys could find it, please just YouTube. It yeah. We'll have to track it down. Like he tracked down that African coral group. <laughs> Anyway, I think we're uh, I think we're probably at the point where we should vote. Yes, I think so. Yeah, let's do it. So, Will, you want to start us off here today at the Great yeah, Movie Showdown? One movie that is basically Mr. Deeds versus another movie that is basically Hamlet, but with cats. But it's not cats. <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's, that's very true. It's not cats. Um, and the movie that I'm going to pick is 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 also not cats. It's it would be The Lion King. Oh. Um, it has to be the Lion King. I mean, I love Toy Story 2, but when you put it up against something like the Lion King, I'm sorry, but you got to get that weak shit out of here. The Lion King needs something better. needs a better opponent. So, all right, Matt, let's see what you have to say. The Lion King, a movie about lions or Toy Story, a movie about toys. Oh my God, Matt. So I'm on, I'm on the edge of my seat, dude. What are you going to pick? I hate to compare the Lion King to Jesus. But you know, like how when you talk about Jesus and you hear all the amazing things that he does and then it just like loses the effect. It's like, yeah, of course. It's amazing. It's Jesus. He does it. <laughs> it's like Jesus is just like so amazing, so awesome. He does all these awesome things that you just like forget about it because he's just in his whole entire level. That's what Lion King is for movies. Oh, my God. Okay. Not to say Lion King is going to win our bracket. So don't like, like Lion King could go up, like it's going to go up against maybe like Beauty and the Beast or. Oh, I know. It could go up against, it's going to go up against Milan in the next round. Well, way to spoil all that, Matt. No, that's not a spoiler. Milan won last week and then, and I voted for Lion King and you voted for Lion King. Oh, wow. It's literally next up in the bracket. Okay. Well, hang on, hang on. I still got to do my vote. Which is obviously going to be the Lion King. Nice. Oh, so this is I another clean sweep. Toy Story three of Toy Story two, two. Yeah, sorry. Jeez, can't even remember which Toy Story Lion King went up against because he cares so little about Toy Story two. I'm sorry. Anyway, so uh, it looks like another. This is another clean sweep for Disney here at um. Actually, has Disney had a clean sweep yet? Ah. Uh... I don't think so. I think this might be the first clean sweep of Disney. Uh, Wreck-It Ralph, I'm pretty sure. Unless somebody picked Finding Dory. Yeah, I think think we all picked Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah, we all picked Wreck-It Ralph. Um, But yeah, so... Jeez, wow. Okay, so we... Disney tied it up, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Remember when Matt was panicking because he thought that he delivered a broken bracket? I was a nervous Rex. (laughs) <laughs> nice that's a call back to the movie that just lost yeah but we have like 10 results it's five for disney five for pixar but now i'm like upset that they're all segregated oh yeah they kind of are that's weird no so i'm digging it i'm digging it's it. gonna be it's gonna be a weird wacky ride anyway uh thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the great movie showdown do you want to do you want to talk about our next matchup our next Sure, Are sure. Yeah, let's do that. Pixar? Yeah, I was going to like plug the Twitter before I did that. But oh, I'm sorry. Fuck that. I'm sorry. Finding <laughs> no. Nemo versus Tarzan. 
Oh, oh that's not fair. At all. So like in my head, I'll, I'll give like a little preview yeah. in my head. I'm like, yeah, finding Nemo, of course. And then I watched Tarzan for the first time since I was eight. And I was like, wow, this is actually like pretty good. A lot better than I remember as a great emotional aspect to it. But there's also some problems with Tarzan. Absolutely. That I will definitely get into. And I've actually, I just watched a YouTube video today that kind of like stated similar problems I have with it and about how Tarzan killed the Disney Renaissance. Really? Uh, And also I feel like Finding Nemo is something I've been watching my whole life and I'm a little bored of it. So who knows? Let's make it interesting. Yeah. Let's make it as subjective as it can be. (laughs) Yeah. I can see it though. I could see it. I really can. Yeah. I can see what you mean about it being like that that last film. I'll I'll bring up the reasoning. Like somebody kind of already addressed it, and I thought it was weird watching it, but I'll I'll bring it up next week for sure. Cool, cool. Yeah, cool. I'll be like well, the anyway. main topic of discussion. Well, anyway, this has been the Great Movie Showdown. Thank yes. you so much for being a part of it. Check us out. Send us send us tweets. Tell us you like the show. Tell us you hate the show, and you want us to kill ourselves, depending on how you feel at the great movie showdown on twitter check it out Woo-hoo! bye everybody until next time well no time. now's the part when we talk and to let, like, yeah we just out. shoot the stuff man yeah oh, man. man made it weird now they're gonna like jeez telling you chastising you as it fades yeah out. this is while roll over mickey for place oh man what the hell oh god you know, i need matt. to figure out a song to sing uh, uh. no there's gonna be a music track underneath matt there always is you don't need to sing over the music. I don't listen track. to the show. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I do. I'm one of those. You don't listen to your own show. I was gonna say, yeah. what's wrong with you? Yeah, we've got people that listen to the show in New Zealand. At least one person that has listened to one episode in New Zealand, according to the uh, the analytics report that I received. I don't believe in numbers. Oh, okay. I thought you were numbers saying New are Zealand. a social construct. I mean, they technically are. You know where numbers came from. The we CBS use the show. Arabic. We use the Arabic numbering system. This has been a nice throw production. Nice throw, Matt. <laughs>